Welcome to the Stratcom podcast series. I'm Omad Kablan. I'm a presenter at TRT World. I host a show called Double Check. Today we'll be talking about communications, strategy, and the media. And I have Dr. Tariq Sharkawi with me, who's the author of The News Media at War, The Clash of Western and Arab Networks in the Middle East. Dr. Tariq is an expert in the field of strategic communications and is currently the manager of the TRT World Research Center. Dr. Tarek, thanks for joining us. Just to kick it off, let's start with your book. Now, in your book, you specifically mention the 2003 Iraq war, and you use it as a case study. Uh, and in particular, you talk about the messages that are being communicated, both by Western and Arab news networks. So how did those messages differ? And what can we take out from all of this? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to talk a bit about my book, News Media at War. Well, um, as you said, I mean, for me, this was a, a very important event. Actually, it is not just for me, but it's for the entire world. Uh, the, the war in Iraq 2003 was a defining event for the 21st uh, century. Why? It's because uh, there were so many changes around the world, whether geopolitically, uh, geoeconomically, and, and so on and so forth. And plus, this was also the war uh, which was designed by some quarters in the United States to take control of the uh, total control of the Middle East. And if we remember the, the whole rhetoric at that time, the neocons having imbued uh, the sphere, the public sphere in the United States, but not only in the United States, not only in the United States, but also uh, around the world. So the importance of this, of the book, uh, relies on, uh, there are so many, I think, uh, interesting aspects that I tackled. Uh, one of them was, uh, first of all, it's a comparative study. So I chose CNN International as a, a representative of uh, the Western media, primarily American media. Why is this choice? Is because uh, CNN International at that time was the first, it was the pioneer, 10 years before the, 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 the 2003 war in Iraq, it was also, it was predominant. I mean, the coverage was predominantly provided by CNN in the, the other war in Iraq, the 1991 uh, war in Iraq. So it's, it was a dominant satellite broadcaster. It was dominant in the United States, but also it was dominant uh, overseas. And the second, the challenger that I put was Al Jazeera Arabic. So Al Jazeera Arabic, uh, of course, at that time, uh, was well known in the Arab world, in the Middle East, but it was not that important uh, overseas. I think it, it gained importance afterwards, after this war uh, and, and other uh, coverages, but started to make some waves and it started to make some, uh, some, something. So the, the bulk of the study and the importance of the study was how both these networks, one coming from a predominantly uh, American point of view, American perspective, and the other one was Al Jazeera, which, was, which uh, conveyed a Middle Eastern uh, perspective. The clash of both frames was very, very important because it's not just about stories or about the way how uh, they um, kind of frame the, those stories. It's because also there is a, a, back, a background. There is a background ideologically. There is a background in the way how the news is, is made. There is a background in how uh, the perceptions, the, the use of language, all of that clashed during that war. And we know that wars are, are very, very uh, defining moments for, for news media because it's 24 hours. It's very, the, the adrenaline is very high. The, the executives of both networks are, you know, on the, on the clock, around the clock, pushing the employees and the staff and the news uh, producers to, to give their, their utmost best. So that was the climate in which I issued that book. 
So when we talk about those particular television networks, what can we say about the way they projected or the messages they proposed, especially to to large audiences? So when we talk about Al Jazeera versus CNN, CNN in the coverage of that war, when we have a clash of the messages being proposed, you know, how did that impact what's happening on the ground? Well, let me start by just outlining some of the differences so that uh, our audience can a little bit uh, relate to what we're sure. saying, and it's not just an abstract. So, for example, when, when CNN framed the first wave of massive bombardment of Baghdad, the main title that was used was shock and awe. So shock and awe is like basically a very, like it's like a spectacle. It's like you are going to assist to some, you know, panoramic or spectacular media event. Well, I mean, in fact, it was a bombardment where, where many, many, may, maybe thousands of people have perished that night. Al Jazeera chose a different ty- a title, which was Baghdad is burning. So, so you can see already from the title how, you know, both frameworks are approaching the, the same event. Then you have, for example, the CNN network would be uh, saying something like um, uh, forces of liberation to frame how the American forces are there. Uh, Al Jazeera would say these are forces of occupation. Uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, so you can see already that there is a very distinctive and very different uh, way of putting the televisual um, uh, frames of, of that conflict. And, and I can say also that the impact was, was massive because a lot of the strategic communication people behind the White House who are actually conveying some of the messaging coming from the top uh, we're very annoyed by the kind of uh, a coverage offered by, by Al Jazeera. It was completely uh, contradicting their, their point of view, their perspective. The way they wanted to present their uh, war effort was that it's a liberation, it's about the spreading of democracy. Uh, Al Jazeera was uh, showing an ugly, very different face of the war, actually very realistic face of the war. And they suffered for that because uh, many people may, not, may have forgotten, but Al Jazeera lost uh, one of their uh, correspondents and, and that war by uh, shelling uh, from the U.S., in spite of the fact that they were based in a hotel and the location, uh, there was the bombardment of, of the Hotel Palestine, in which also uh, other correspondents have, have perished that night. And there were also some uh, correspondence and equipment and headquarters of Al Jazeera that was bombarded, in spite of the geolocation being provided to the U.S. forces. So, so the impact was about shaping the hearts and minds the United States wanted via uh, some of the networks to convey a very kind of aseptic, a very uh, clean version of the war. The whole, actually, episodes of the war were already prepared in advance how the media would, would be covering and what aspect of the war would be covered. Most of it would, would, would be uh, about the, the hardware, how efficient is the, the, the American hardware, the armaments and so forth. Uh, some of it would be, it would be about the heroes uh, highlighting some of the some of the, the heroistic acts by U.S. servicemen and uh, servicewomen. And there was a whole week about uh, saving a private, uh, they, they call it, it's like the movie, like uh, Saving Private Ryan. And in that, uh, there was a week dedicated to saving a, a private, a, a private uh, woman that was saved from, from the front. So Al Jazeera gave a totally different, this, this was not the scripted version. It was totally different, totally challenging. And this, of course, raised, a lot of awareness about the barbaric aspect of the war and the victims of the war, often voiceless victims of the war. For example, when, I just, when CNN would cover the bombardment, it would be a, a very large 
like from far away, which only seems like the building are being destroyed, but there is no human presence. Everything has been uh, cleansed and there is no blood, no, no suffering, no people uh, dying, etc. Al Jazeera would be the opposite. They had correspondence actually on the ground at the time of the war. And they have it in many cities, not just in Baghdad. They were in Mosul, they were in, in, in Basra, they were everywhere. And they had footage of from the streets. And this showed like the, the war, it was, uh, was an ugly endeavor. And there were a lot of uh, victims from that, uh, from that event. So yes, there were effects and there were consequences. Some of them were political. Some of them were uh, media-wise, because uh, a lot of people um, lost confidence actually in CNN on that as well, because most of its coverage was from the studios and they had like most of their sources would be former officials of the Pentagon. Fortunately, it turned out that these, these people who were there uh, were not like independent analysts. They were at, uh, after the war, a scandal emerged in which a lot of these uh, military people were actually still on the payroll of the Pentagon under a program, PR program prepared by the Pentagon. Al Jazeera, on the other hand, would have more correspondence on the ground. They would have more footage. Some of it was uh, very gore and very uh, bloody. Uh, and people had a better sense about how the war was unfolding if they follow uh, Al Jazeera. So there was a political effects because people were also a kind of very angry about this war because it was initially put forward because of very erroneous reasons. Uh, there was uh, the, the rationale for the war was fake. There was no weapons of mass destruction. The, the regime, the Iraqi regime had no links with Al-Qaeda. All of that, all the case for war was fake. And plus, the, the consequences on the ground were, were very, very bad. The, the American side portrayed the war as it would be like a piece of cake and people would be uh, welcoming the liberating forces. This was not the case. Al Jazeera showed that. So ultimately, of course, the war was very fast. It was like uh, three weeks of uh, major battles because, of course, the, Iraq was never a match for a superpower like the United States. But what is important in these coverages is that it shows uh, a lot of things that are behind, like the, the, you know, the way how the dominant ideologies and the way how dominant news networks and, and news framings are unfolding in, in such circumstances. And today, you, know, you explained some of those approaches and differences in the coverage of the, the Iraq war. But today, when you look at various news networks, do you still see this approach, the difference in this, the difference in approach reporting uh, continuing? Like when you talk about ongoing conflict. So if we talk about the Syrian war, if we talk about Libya, Yemen, or the Israel-Palestine conflict, do we see a difference in coverage? Do we see some of those approaches you're talking about in mainstream media? Uh, yes, we do see a lot of that still happening. Uh, uh, but I think we have to differentiate between wars in which the United States is primarily involved, like mm -hmm. the Iraq war, the United States was itself involved and the, its troops, its servicewomen and men were on the ground fighting a war, a major war. So that changes because the, the U.S. networks, they might be very independent in you know, many aspects, but when it comes to a war in which the, their nation is involved, then we see a lot of patriotism, a lot of gang-ho uh, attitude. Uh, cheerleading, um, uh, things that would not be tolerated and would not, never be classified under journalism any other uh, shape or form. But in, under that circumstances, we see these kind of things happening. Uh, but if we take other conflicts, like for example, okay, the Syrian conflict, the Libyan conflict, because the United States is not directly involved. So there is some, in general, kind of, kind of you know, like these networks ignore, they have only few snippets here and there. It's not like a major news item for them. But we have seen Al Jazeera, for example, covering, and other networks, I'm not just talking about Al Jazeera, because uh, since the 2003, 
they have been a major uh, apparition, major uh, establishment of um, different networks from nations in English and other languages. Uh, so the, 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 the sphere is contested. It's no longer a one-way highway for, uh, you know, like only Western or European views of certain conflicts as it was the case before. So it's the, the domain is more challenged nowadays. And plus with the social media, the rise of social media also is things are very different because we have now also the, the rise of the concept of the, the citizen, uh, the citizen journalist mm-hmm. or citizen journalism in which people are providing their own, you know, footage, their own explanation. You have a lot more uh, people uh, having their opinions. So things are different than, you know, let's say 20 years ago, but there is still a difference, a, a big difference about how these representations are taking place. And, you know, is this the case for, of course, recently we saw the chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. Did you analyze the same approach within the U.S. media for that particular example? Oh, yes, that's, that's a very good uh, case that you brought. I think the, the United States, uh, for, for so long, they have been, uh, especially the news media there, they have been uh, just having one way of representation is, okay, at first it was we are winning, we won, and then, oh, there's an insurgency, and then there is a surge, and then, okay, we're going to fight, and we're going to prevail. But at the end, you know, 20 years later, the things were not going the, that direction. So the news media adopted a different narrative. It's a narrative about, you know, about other things, like deflecting responsibilities, not talking about what the U.S. has done in terms of atrocities in Afghanistan or its allies there. There was no mention of that. It's just like if you see that episode, it's like there is no episodes before. It's like this is taken out of context. And we only see, okay, the United States, they decided to leave because they, they have nothing else to do here. And these people now, we are focusing about people wanting to leave. It's a, it's a humanitarian approach. It's more like, well, how can we do to help these people to leave? So the situation is so bad for them, etc. So they deflected their, uh, from their responsibilities and taking any responsibilities for the mess that is unfolding. Plus, they were mostly caring about their own troops and, and own you know, uh, nationals, and they didn't care about how the mess that, that would be left afterwards. Uh, so other news networks have uh, had a different framing for the situation. Also, if we talk about Al Jazeera, Al Jazeera was talking to everybody. They were having like um, interviews with the with the Taliban, interviews with uh, uh, with other people on the ground, and uh, trying to see what how the situation can get better. Who is responsible for this? How can things move forward? So these questions were rarely tackled, you know, in on CNN or other networks like uh, like Minded Network. Some of them were just like. They were confused because for so long, uh, the war on terror for them was, uh, okay, we won, we prevailed, the terrorists are no longer there, but how can you explain uh, 20 years later that you are actually withdrawing from a country and you, you didn't achieve anything of your goals there? So, yeah, maybe one or two objectives, but they were mostly tactical, nothing strategic. So, uh, of course, the importance of news and representation is very, very important because it has an impact on the, uh, the nation branding. It, uh, for example, if you take uh, the United States, the brand uh, of the U.S. has been dented in the past, you know, 20 years or so. Since the, actually, since the Bush administration started this, this never-ending wars in the Middle East and Central Asia and so on. And now, you know, they are trying to get out from this uh, situation and communicate, but there's the communication and we are talking about messaging. I mean, what message is provided to the world? I mean, Biden is trying to shape a, a new narrative, but it's not sticking. It's still, you know, like there's a, a big differences even within the United States and there are divergences uh, in opinions and, and point of views. 
and it's deep. It's running deep. It's even within the elites, and it's a big mess. And this is why things, you know, uh, can go to the again to be under like Trump and new Trump administration, perhaps in in two years time. So. From the other side, I think there is more, like, as I said, there is more diversity. There are more networks now than, than in the past. We have seen a lot of global south networks, whether, whether Chinese, whether from Turkey, whether from uh, Russia, whether from other, you know, other nations, uh, the South Africans, you know, like the Brazilians. You have new networks and they, and they have like news networks and they are 24-7 as well. And they, have, they, they also have different languages and sometimes... Uh, a lot of them have an English, uh, an English uh, speaking um, network. So there is a huge competition and it's very difficult nowadays to frame something in one way and have this uh, frame be the dominant frame and everybody follows as it was the case. Like, in, like if we move like 30 years ago to the 1991 Gulf War uh, led by the United States, everything said by CNN was taken face value. And it was very difficult for anybody to challenge. It was just like, you know, you, you just take it. And because CNN was the only, uh, the only uh, broadcaster present in Baghdad, and they had like, you know, they had the upper hand on what to say, how to say, what are the messaging from the United States administration what would come, uh, you know, loud and clear. And any other counter effort, counter narrative would never stick, would never have any chance, whether from the people who are against the war or people who are neutral or people who are critical of, of certain aspects of the war. Nothing like that would, be, would appear. But nowadays it's different. But uh, there is a, another challenge, which is uh, having an overloaded uh, environment, which uh, because there are so many voices and so many things being said by different protagonists that it amounts to a kind of noise where it's very difficult to distinguish the, the, the voices. The noise is prevalent. So now the challenge is in how to get like how to fine tune the environment and get the information that is uh, truthful, that is accurate, uh, and get it uh, on time. Uh, now is a different type of challenge. And Dr. Tarek, can you also talk about, of course, you were mentioning that these days it's so difficult to have that dominant perspective pushed out across a vast audience. Can you also talk about the importance of social media, which is where many of us now get updates about these types of conflicts, about various news from around the world, how public opinion is shaped on social media. Can you talk about some of the challenges or uh, the impact that's had on these types of conflicts? Well, I can, I can say that there, you know, in the beginning, there, there were so many promises that social media is going to revolutionize the world of information and that people would be would have a voice and they would have a direct impact on how information is communicated and the impact this information would create and for example the arab spring in the beginning in the 2010 2011 everybody especially 2011 onwards everybody was full of praise about the social media and how it could mobilize all these uh, forces in the street and how it could have such an impact in, in against like dictators in the region but I think that euphoria is, is gone because I think also a lot of forces around the world and a lot of dictatorships have equipped themselves also with the armies of, electronic, we call them electronic armies, who are there to actually prevent the information from being shared, hassle and kind of harass journalists or opinion leaders or people who have different perspectives. There's a lot of censorship 
there's a lot also of corporate ownership and many people don't know that but 80 percent of the of the information circulated on social media is more or less belonging to like the the big big uh, owners of, uh, of of media in general and big conglomerations and this is why sometimes social media is about sharing and you see a lot of shares like a lot of shares of actually mainstream mainstream pieces in the media so i don't think the social media is offering like a silver bullet for all the problems and you know kind of giving access or making the things much better but they have improved a bit uh, the situation in, in the sense that you can always get some news or information from like conflict zones where there is a lot of people uh, there's a lot of censorship going on so there is some improvement in some aspect but there's also uh, the heavy presence of propaganda, uh, computational propaganda. There are lots of bots, a lot of trolls, a lot of troll factories being, uh, and we have seen it like whether in the elections, the, the Trump election, whether the, in other elections, we have seen the presence of these, um, these forces and the way how they manipulate the social media in order to trigger certain responses. We all know about the Cambridge Analytica scandal that showed how manipulation happens via social media. So from an optimistic point of view, of course, there is an improvement and we have to fight for having this social media as a means to democratize and having access to information and having the ability to reach accurate and truthful information. On the other hand, we have to be careful that the same forces that try to actually stop journalism from happening and actual information from reaching the masses is still also prevalent in the social media world. Dr. Tariq Sharkawi, thank you for a very enlightening chat on the Stratcom podcast series. Thank you very much for having me.